Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we've been a lot of places. It's pretty busy right now. <laughs> if we spent any more time together this week, I would have had to give Kristen some candy. <laughs> I do not need any more candy. I'm pretty hyped up. I walked into Margie's office today and was like, I've had a lot of coffee. I feel like my heart is going to explode out of my chest. <laughs> like, Join the club. It's, We're ready it's for the no posters. longer having its intended effect. It's just making me shake a lot. <laughs> well, you, will, you might want to change the speed on your phone yeah. to like slow. So this is going to be a fast episode. <laughs> Let's talk about the polls. Woo! So. So if you are listening to this on Thursday when we're recording and trying to figure out where can I get more Margie and Kristen, I have not had enough Margie and Kristen. I need more, 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 more. The C-SPAN was not enough, Morning Joe. See, I per- apparently it was C-SPAN too. This is my favorite Aww. thing. I tweeted out on Tuesday like, if you're missing me and Margie, we're gonna, if you tune on C-SPAN, we'll be on in a hot second. And somebody wrote back. It's C-SPAN, too. Oh, my. oh, of course. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Kristen, for being my... It's definitely better than the very first time 20 years ago that I was filmed doing my very first presentation ever happened to be recorded for C-SPAN, and they were, like, passing me a note to say, what? I don't know. Like, move, speak louder, get your hair out of your face. I don't know, but I was just like, I can't look at that note. I'm freaking out. <laughs> and, and they didn't air it, you know, because I'm sure whatever I was doing was just ma- did not make for oh, good no. C-SPAN television. Anyway, I think we redeemed ourselves this week. The first time I ever did any of the C-SPANs, it was a panel at AEI, and I was a junior munchkin, and it was C-SPAN 3. Uh, We're moving up. The trace. We're moving up. (laughs) We're moving up in the world. We're moving up in the world. One day we'll make the big C-SPAN part. We can only only dream. So Kristen's going to be on The Kelly File. Good morning, America. She's going to be on ABC for election night. I'm going to be on the BBC and NPR around election time, evening and post. Um, and this Saturday, if you are in D.C., you should come to this. It's going to be cool at the AFI, Silver, the Silver Theater in Silver Spring, which is a really awesome venue. There's going to be a showing these folks every cycle. They do a compilation of all the television ads or not all of them, but top um, ads from presidential campaigns dating back to the 50s. So I'm going to be moderating a discussion. Anyway, it's really cool. If you like presidential television ads, which I'm sure you do, then you may want to come to this if you live in the neighborhood. Um, so that's or, at 5 o'clock on Saturday. Or if you were like me watching the World Series last night, I was like, I can't escape them. I just want to watch baseball. Oh, my God. Well, here's one thing you can't escape. It's the final <laughs> We're almost there, everybody. Ba-na-na-na. 
<laughs> Hopefully, you're listening to this before the election and not after the election when the you know the world comes crumbling you guys, down. We're almost or, there. It's or almost over. Peace has been restored throughout the land. One of those two. It's just as simple as that. No biggie. Uh, it's almost over. I'm so like I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am. So the top lines. We are almost done. What the heck is going to happen? Why are the polls so wobbly? That is the scientific term for it, after all. We have some theories about what's going on with the polls. Did the Comey letter shake up the race? We will take a look at what people think about the latest development in the FBI's look into various email things. Um, And then we'll talk a little bit about how we don't just have the polls anymore. We have early voting numbers, and we are going to have exit polls coming out on election night. Get excited for Kristen's annual, biannual, biennial rant about the exit polls. This is one of her top rants. (laughs) Yep. This is (laughs) buckle up, kids. I got some thoughts. Uh, And then Trump hasn't paid his pollster. We have some thoughts about that. Yes. As well. Um, But first – And I'm going to name names of people that haven't paid pollsters before. Excellent. That's good. Well, you'll definitely want to tune in for that. So first, our poll of the week. What happens to Ivanka? What's going to happen to Ivanka, her next step in terms of her brand building? Uh, there's been a lot of talk. There's, t- you know, the homepage of Politico today talked about a Trump hotel failing in Toronto. There's been a lot of business coverage about what Trump's candidacy has done for his brand around the world. But there's actually polling on what this has done for Ivanka Trump's clothing brand. And Ivanka has always been kind of the... I don't want to say golden child, but like she's kind of the, you know, she seems to have this very stable, glossy brand in the kind of world of Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of it seems, some of that kind of other stuff that's going on in Trump world seems to be rubbing off on her brand Um, among, this was from Forbes through Morning Consult. Um, Democratic women, for sure, were going to say they were less likely to consider purchasing clothing from Ivanka Trump's clothing line. That was very uh, – you had almost 80 percent saying they would not – you know, they wouldn't buy uh, Ivanka brand things. Independent women, you had almost 60 percent of independent women say, yeah, I'm not going to buy Ivanka brand things. And Republican women, she can't really run up her – Bottom line with just Republican women, because only about 40% say yes, they would consider purchasing clothing from uh, Ivanka. So I don't know if that kind of thing is going to return to normal after the election, if it's going to matter who wins. Is she, are these people who are not going to be Ivanka customers anyway? We don't know all that from this question, but it is something to keep a watch on, which is, you know, how, how has, how does Trump's presidential campaign affect his brand and certainly his brand, not just as a winner, um, and someone who can make a lot of money, but, you know, the sense that he's able to create jobs and fix businesses if his own business is failing, you know, is that at odds with how he, you know, comports himself, but. I almost, I almost wore an Ivanka Trump blazer. I don't own anything from Ivanka Trump, but I was at like uh, one of those like Saks Off Fifth or Nordstrom Rack stores or something like that. And it was right before the Republican convention. And there was this kind of great like bright blue blazer that was an Ivanka Trump brand. But like the button that the, on the front like had Ivanka Trump's name on it. And I was like, I can't wear this on it. Come on. I can't do this. Yeah, That's come too on, much. luxury brands. Too much. I'm I'm pretty anti logo y stuff yeah. in general. That was like, no, I just cannot. I guess I could have bought it and taken it to a tailor and gotten a new button put on, but that's like 
forget it. Too much it's effort. It's taken me three years can't, to change the buttons on a couple of my jackets. Yeah. So it's not, that never makes it to the top of the Kristen's list. Kristen's like, like stuff that needs repaired, dry oh. cleaning bag just sits in the corner. <laughs> the basket of misfit toys. Yeah, exactly. Fix my hem. Fix my hem. You know what? After the election, we're going to get to all that stuff. <laughs> no, because but. 2020's already started, Margie. <laughs> no rest for the weary. So that's all fun and fun and uh, well, but what... I think the big news in polling right now is what is happening with the polls. Why are they volatile? Has the race been tightening? Should everyone start panicking, freaking out? What does this mean? And there are some theories out there. One theory is that's the Comey letter. It's tightening. The other one is it's sort of a natural tightening that just happens because we're in a divided partisan climate. And then the third is there isn't really a tightening necessarily at all. There's a difference in who is responding to surveys. This was something that Kristen's been saying. There's been a really great article by Doug Rivers that's at RCP that goes in this in like all kinds of super wonky, geeky detail. Oh, yeah. Well, and so a little bit of like, you know, the soap opera saga of polling social science academic land like there are we talked about this after apor i think like there are camps in polling land where there are people who are like these are gold standard methods that have worked for decades why are you trying all of this new crazy wackadoodle stuff stick to what works because we've been doing this for decades and we know what the heck we're doing mm-hmm. and then there are folks that are like uh-uh your methods are broken here's all this cool new stuff we need to do and you're wrong mm-hmm. and if i had to pick like, like, what do you mean like, by cool stuff? Um, like, so stuff that, do. like, YouGov or SurveyMonkey, like, mm-hmm. new methods right. of online, online what non-representative, non-probability, non-probability. Um, and if I had to say that there were, like, like if this is, if we're talking, like, houses in Game of Thrones, if there's, like, the traditionalist house. Right. Like, Gary Langer at ABC is the, like, head of house traditionalists. Right, right. He is the, he's the, the Ned Stark of... I'm getting to Game of Thrones here. He's the head of that. Like, he is the face. He's the, like, right. I've been doing this forever. I've been right forever. Those aren't the blondes, right? The blondes. No, that's are... the Lannisters. Okay. <laughs> I mean, depending on your point of view, it right. could be the Lannisters. Right, okay. Um, but then there are the, like, the new, the, the there's new ways to do this. Everybody needs to wake up. None of you are actually doing p- true probability polling because nobody answers phones anymore. So get it together. And I would say Doug Rivers is probably, like, the head of that house. Right. So it was interesting then. So ABC, which is Gary Langer is the director of polling there. I am a contributor at ABC. I have no insight. I'm not like revealing. I don't know. I don't have any conversations with their polling unit about how they do their stuff. You're not making the calls. I'm not making the calls. I'm I'm outside. Right. Um, But like Gary's good at what he does. And the track record of the ABC post tracking poll. So Karen Travers, who is one of – he's also at ABC, tweeted this out. In 1992 – their final estimate of the vote was Clinton 44, Bush 37. The actual vote, Clinton 43, Bush 37. In 96, they got the margin almost exact, Clinton Dole. Gore Bush, they got Bush 48. They had Gore 45, Gore Roundup, it was 48-48, but still, like, they had Bush winning. Right. That's fairly close. Kerry Bush almost nailed it exactly. Obama McCain almost nailed it exactly. Obama 53, McCain 44 was their final estimate. Actual vote was basically the same. 
they nailed Obama Romney when a lot of other polls. And where are they today? They're like plus three, so, right? So two days ago it was Trump plus one, right? But isn't there? There's not a new one today. So they, right? because it's a there is a new one today that now has Clinton, I think, up by one or two. Mm. So because it's this rolling tracking thing, it's it's you know it's still got interviews included from the from last wave. the last wave that are still in today's wave, but that will be cycled out you know a day or two from now. So. On the one hand, they've got a track record of being able to say, like, look, all you haters and doubters, we have nailed this election for the last two decades. On the other hand, they acknowledge in the methodology notes of their poll. So their poll had Clinton up by 12. Right, like 10 days ago. Yeah. Like we were on the show like, oh, yeah. presidential race is kind of boring. Right. Everybody's got Trump let's up by double candy. Let's yeah. talk. Let's get it. Yeah. Forget this. Um, you know, in a week, do you actually think – that the election changed by 13 points in a week. It's hard to believe. And that was before Comey. So you it can't was, even put it all on Comey. And there are all the other polls suggest that Comey letter didn't really have any effect anyway. Right. So you and take all that together. So it's not that it was – so because their their drop was over the course of that whole 10 days. It right. didn't just happen Saturday and So Sunday. ABC, in the methodology notes of their survey, then come out as everybody's freaking out and going like, oh, my God. They have Trump winning. And they say, look, a lot of this is changes in who winds up being enthusiastic or a likely voter in our poll based on like Trump supporters are now more enthusiastic than they were a week ago. Clinton supporters less so. Um, and so it's not necessarily people changing their minds. It's just people changing their attitudes in such a way that alters who counts and doesn't count in our poll. Right. Which then I think raises the question. Are these poll swings legit or are they – is it too sensitive to stuff that's not actually changing people's real voting behavior in terms of preference or turnout? And this is where Doug Rivers then enters the picture with his like really fantastic article that kind of like not so subtly takes shots at some of these extra swingy media polls. Right. And what he says they're able to do at YouGov is pretty cool. So YouGov is one of these firms that's been surveying people for many, many, many years. They've got people in their panel who they've been studying for many, many, many years. They were the ones that won the panel test. They were sample I. The, from the, Pew's the, the panel Pew's test. best online sample. So they, um, they have what people said four years ago was their vote intention. Were you a Romney supporter or an Obama supporter? Um, and they did a test where they then asked people, like, not not saying, hey, we're trying to check and see if you're lying, but they tried to check. And, like, 96% of people accurately remembered what they voted for before, which is kind of interesting because most of the conventional wisdom is that people are really bad at recalling this stuff. But or they, they just say they voted for the winner when they didn't. But or... you got the, the YouGov folks tried to test that and actually found it wasn't as bad as they thought. So then what they say is what's crazy is that when they're doing these surveys, because they know – the political preferences of the people they invite to take the survey. And they can tell the political preferences of who says, yes, I will take it, and who says, no, I will not take it. They see that based on like when the news cycle changes, more people who previously had voted for Romney, you know, will say, oh, I'm not going to take the poll today because like there was a bad news cycle for Trump. Or people who'd voted for Obama four years ago when the Comey letter story type stuff breaks. Everyone's eh, going to be less likely to take the poll. So they find that response rates to the poll wobble, and that throws the sample to be kind of wobbly. And that and they may... wait by past votes, so, don't they? So what they do is they wait by past vote. They hold that constant. They say, we people's pre uh, attitudes might change, but we know what people voted for last time, and we know what the real result looks like in the electorate. 
So this is kind of it, this is controversial. Not everybody does this. And by doing that, are you actually missing some swings in things like enthusiasm? Like, is it so wrong to factor enthusiasm into your likely voter model if people are less enthusiastic? Do they not vote? So right, because remember we had Mark Blumenthal on the show on Monday, and he argued convincingly that the act of taking a poll is comparable to voting because that's you know, a sign of political engagement. So if more enthusiastic people want to take your survey, isn't that if that is a proxy in some way, maybe not a proxy, but it correlates with your engagement or your interest in voting, that is relevant. Right. So I I put myself more, I think, in the Rivers camp on this. To me, it seems more plausible. And weirdly, this lends itself, by the way, to the silent secret Trump voter theory, but not in the way you think it does. This is not about people who are like, I'm embarrassed to pick up the phone and say that I support Trump, or I'm going to lie to a pollster and say I'm voting for Clinton, but secretly I'm voting for Trump. This is about people just being like, oh, I just can't deal. And like, they're still going to vote. They're still going to vote for whoever they were going to vote for before. But on days when the news is not favoring their candidate, they're just more like, oh, I'm not even going to bother. And so the question is, is the act of going, oh, I'm not even going to bother translate to a change in actual voting intention and behavior yeah we don't know and we don't know that but that is that's the debate kids that's what we're looking at right now is there and what's funny is a year ago i just wrote a column at the examiner all about this real clear politics polling average clinton up by like two to two and a half points today real clear politics polling average clinton up by two to two and a half points is it possible that this race has actually been like an insanely stable race Right. Under the surface, like you've had big waves on top, but the actual currents running at the bottom of the ocean have always been. We've always been a country that's broken down into certain partisan camps and things are going to work out the way they're going to work out. And. And that's it. Right. And that's it. And we right? had like, a whole lot race, of a whole lot of, you know, blood and sweat and tears for for a race that we could we could have had the election a year ago and we would have gotten the same result. Is that possible? Think of all. <laughs> Think of all the things you could have done with all that money. I'm going to choose not to think of all of the things I could have done with the last year of my life. Nonetheless, that is the debate about whether or not – so this is not to say don't trust the polls, but it is to say be a skeptical consumer of them. There could be things that are making them move more one way or the other. And that is not a bias that benefits, I think, one candidate or the other particularly. It's just about who's who's winning the news cycle today. It's just – this is why we always say keep calm in average polls. Don't overreact to big swings in polls. The electorate is not as volatile as the press and Twitter. Yes. And what I dig into in the my examiner column, and Margie and I have talked about this before, is that a lot of times when people are like, oh, my gosh, the polls were swinging all over the place and then they missed, that like none of that was actually true. That people, the media is like loves to overinterpret like, oh, Trump went from plus three to plus five. Trump surges in Ohio. And it's like, no, that's not what that means. Trump going from plus three to plus five does not mean he is surging in Ohio. Yeah. Um, so it's overinterpretation of data and it's, you know, the Brexit polls had it at essentially a draw on election day. It was the betting markets and the commentators who were like, ah, Remain's got this. But I mean, the polls were a little more equivocal, but these things get remembered as like huge polling disaster. And so people want to root for polls to fail. Yeah. Not us. But other people do. Um, yeah, I know. So that so 
that's one question that people are grappling with. And part of it is, you know, I mean, as we've said before, people and when Neil Newhouse, Republican pollster, Romney pollster um, said, you know, it's a it's a game where, you know, that's always on. People want to check in and see the score and people, you know, want to desperately know what the answer is going to be. And so the people are looking at the polls and just freaking out. There's a lot of freaking out going on right now. And you do see some of these polls tightening and people don't know, like, is it actually tightening or is it because of some volatile swings? And I think you compound that with when you, you know, the battle to expand the map, I think that's added to this dialogue. Mm -hmm. So the Trump folks indicated that they released a map. They said, okay, here's our path. And their path included states like Wisconsin. And I think that it also include Michigan. Mm -hmm. Yes. So those are states that have not been going for Trump at all. Another poll came out today, Wisconsin plus six for Clinton. That's that's but a- the Senate race is narrowed up there, or that's what people are yeah. saying from some of the polling. So the Trump folks indicated that Wisconsin was one of those states and or Colorado, and then they were headed in there. They were you know, spending money. They were forcing the Clinton team to spend money in some of these states that were considered locked away, like Colorado and Michigan and so on. And is that a sign of something going on in the internal polling of two, of the bo- of both camps? Is it a sign that Clinton can so outspend the Trump campaign in terms of organization and money that they're just not going to leave any state open or exposed in any way. If they're going to indicate somewhere that they're going to a state, the Clinton team can be there with all the support that's needed in order to keep that state uh, blue. You know, we don't know. We'll see. Um, but, you know, getting involved on the Clinton side also can pay dividends in terms of helping raise, uh, lift the boats of Senate candidates and House races and so on, too. Um, so those uh, but that debate over where resources are being allocated has helped inform this worry or conversation about whether or not the polls are tightening. I think if you didn't also see allocation change that way, you would maybe not have seen some of the same debate. Yeah, because internal polls have advantages that public polls don't have. And while we don't know what the Clinton or Trump campaign's internal polls have to say, and when they leak internal polls, that's usually a biased sample of those because they're only leaking internal polls that feed the narrative they want, but follow the money. That tells you a little bit about what they're seeing internally. Right, right. And, but I do think it's clear, just to go back to this Comey piece, because that t- had there was so much heat behind that letter and announcement Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I feel like it's just receded a little bit from what people are saying today. Maybe it's just because I've been in a meeting all day today. I don't know what people are saying, but I think it just seems like it's fallen back just a little bit. Um, But the polls did not seem to suggest that that was having an impact at all. Like there was no pre and post change in pollsters that were in the field and doing the exact same polling all those days. That was true with Mark uh, Blumenthal and SurveyMonkey. That was true with Politico. That was been true with other outlets. And when you ask people directly about those questions, it completely breaks along party lines. It did not seem to have any impact. You know, maybe there was a little bit if you ask the question the way I think SurveyMonkey did saying, is this an important issue to discuss? That's, a, I think, a lower bar to clear than is this change your vote. Changing your vote is, I think, a higher bar. But regardless, it does not seem to have any any real impact. So that's another – that's an argument for me against the the polls are swinging wildly and this may be why theory. Right. And, you know, ABC was the one poll – ABC Washington Post was the one that showed this – big drop but right. but it wasn't didn't. all after comey but it wasn't all after comey it was starting before comey and when you're really just caring the comparing directly pre and post 
enough of these other polls have shown stability that uh, may may not have been the thing. Now, if it was affecting enthusiasm, which is the other thing that ABC claims, which sort of feeds into that narrative, is this about differentiate, you know, different people having non-response. Um, we want to talk a little bit about early voting. And um, in Florida, for instance, you're in, in a lot of these states, you know, the weekend early voting is particularly important for Democrats because weekend early voting is where you have African-American voters, souls to the polls days, you know, you go after church and you vote. Um, and so the the real question then was, if this does dampen any enthusiasm, does this at the margins and at the, you know, the at the very edges of this race, are there voters who were like, sure, I'm going to go out on Saturday and vote for Clinton. And then they heard the story and they were like, "Ugh, this again. And then suddenly, you know, something else came up on Saturday and they didn't vote. This is unknowable, right? But that's that's the only way I can envision this having had an impact on, you know, votes at this point is if there were early votes that didn't get banked over the weekend because people were just like, uh, I'll deal with this later. And we can't know that. Yeah, I mean, we can't know. And then the other conversation about early voting, I mean, initially, there were so many states like Florida and Arizona um, and Nevada that where Democrats were doing better than Republicans, they were doing better than they had in 2012 in terms of banking those early votes. And when you bank those early votes, then Trump has an even higher hurdle to make up that ground the rest of the way, you know, the rest of the time, um, leaving more things to chance. And it also, you know, demonstrates the advantage of having a strong ground game, which obviously Clinton has over Trump. Now, the other flip side of this, some analysis, and maybe this was also Sean Trendy at RCP, but I could be wrong, like the argument that this doesn't necessarily mean the fact that Democrats have an advantage in early voting. That doesn't mean that that's the end. That's all she wrote. And Democrats will win that state because the early voters are going to be the most partisan engaged. And in some of the in some of these states, that's going to be Democrats given you know, some of the lack of enthusiasm Republicans have had for their nominee compared to Democrats. So, you know, there's an argument that, you know, look, you're just you're just moving some of your voters early. You're not necessarily changing the percentage, the final percentage. Right. And there's there's all kinds of different data points that can feed either narrative about who's doing better in early voting or not. So you had, for instance, Dave Wasserman of Cook Political Report uh, yesterday tweeting out some interesting early vote numbers from Florida and finds that, you know, for instance, the county that ha- or the city where you have the villages, America's friendliest hometown, sort of like America's biggest retirement community, cruise ship on land. Mm-hmm. Uh that, you know, very big Trump country, big Trump country, right. that already the early vote totals there are 88% of what the total vote was in that area for 2012, which is huge, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's good news for Donald Trump, mm-hmm. big time. But how many of those voters are just voting early? Like, right. are you, right? It, it, I mean, certainly you would much rather have those votes in the bank, right, than like waiting for November 8th. Right. Then you don't have to worry if they're going to get – people are going to get sick or it's raining or whatever. Right. You're not leaving anything but among chance. senior citizen voters, how much more can you get out of them when already among registered voter seniors, there's such an enormous – like turnout is already so extraordinarily high. How much more can you really get out of it versus are these people who just are voting earlier – Instead of voting on election day, um, 
And then there was somebody, uh, gosh, I forget who this was on Twitter. Uh, maybe it was Matt Lewis who said he was talking to an unnamed Republican pollster who said, we're seeing a lot of voting among senior citizens who have a very patchy record of voting. So I assume that means that they're doing a voter file analysis, mm -hmm. to which I say, are you making sure that you are accounting for um, change of address? Because if you think about it, a lot of people retire to Florida, right? They lived somewhere else and then they get to 65 and they're like, sweet, bring it on Fort Lauderdale. Right. Um, and the Florida voter file is not going to show what your voting history was in New Jersey, you know. Now, there are – you know, the campaign – good campaign data firms have all that this and is match like all why, that stuff. This and, is why we don't get any primary direct mail at my house because we haven't lived there many years. But you should, Democratic candidates listening to this. Yeah. You don't get any direct mail because we moved from D.C. We have new – we're not perfect voters. So it looks voters. like – you. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is why, you know, if you're using one of these data firms – there's a lot of money and time and effort that goes into matching this stuff up and figuring out who moved where. And, okay, we know that this person is a new voter in Florida, but actually they've had, like, an extensive and very regular voter history in New Jersey. So I just threw that out there on Twitter as a thing. Like, these may not be people who they're casting their very first ballot at age 65. These could be people that have been regular voters forever. They're just new to Florida, so they look like new voters. I mean, they could be new voters. Right. I'm just – I'm throwing out pieces of information that sometimes people don't consider about voter file analysis. Right, right. And so, if you're doing like a state it poll for media outlet, are you doing that? Are you taking all that into account? Yeah, like that's hard stuff. That's yeah. really hard, really expensive stuff that yep. takes like national parties huge commitments of resources to figure out. So it's unlikely that like if you're like a pollster just kind of figuring this out on the fly that you're like – Matching your voter file back to the database of the other fifty states. I mean, you maybe you are, but right. I mean, just as an aside, this is hard obviously, stuff this to is do. not obviously my particular lane. But you know, people always think like, oh, there's just this big file, and you should just look up Margie O'Mara, Kristen Solta Sanderson. No. There's like all this perfect information of everything you've ever wanted and done and lived and all that stuff and bought. Um, it's hard work to compile. It is your well, data because, history because voter files too are also the product of like. County, yeah, elections fields are done differently, and things are spelled wrong. I mean, there are counties where vote totals are still like done by little old ladies by hand. Yes, I remember and, like, calling it's crazy. Oh, I remember calling a state. This was many years ago. Calling a state that had same day registration, and I asked them about how they kept their records in some of the smaller towns, and the answer was something like. Well, in this, you know, in some of these smaller towns, you know, we just know who's – like, I mean, there was basically like, – we don't keep records on same-day registration in the small towns. I mean, you know, it can be very uh, inconsistent. So that's just something to keep in mind. Now, you know, the other – so that's the early voting thing. So the early voting – it's still favoring Democrats in a lot of these states, not Ohio. I think that seems to be less true. No, and the New York Times reported that African-American turnout is down. That's not necessarily about enthusiasm, though. In places like North Carolina, rules have been changed so that there are fewer polling places available in some areas. So that may also be a contributing factor. It may not mean that on Election Day the numbers have fallen off, but it might. And so the New York Times article sort of raising the flag for Democrats – was, I think, important to keep in mind. Yeah. So, and then one other piece that we'll talk about before we get into the slightly more fun stuff is this hidden, the shy Trumper 
theory. It, it, it's not in there, but there were two pieces that came out today. Um, one in Politico with a poll that they did with Morning Consult, replicating their earlier methodology that we had Kyle drop from Morning Consult on a long time ago. And actually, the New York Times upshot also did at the same time. They did a study as well to look into this shy Trump vote. And they both found and both published today stories that said there isn't, you know, it doesn't really seem like there's some kind of hidden secret white voter tro- treasure trove of Trump voters. They both came to that conclusion. Now, there's a little bit more of a, you know, shy Trumper with college-educated white voters who are a little bit less likely to report that they're voting for Trump, but that that this fact that there's going to be this, like, massive group of people who are telling pollsters that they're voting for Clinton, but they're really voting for Trump, that's not borne out by two different data sets that came out today. So, friends, people who listen to our show, we love you. We love you no matter who you vote for. But it turns out that a lot of voters don't feel the same way. That whether or not you vote for Clinton or Trump does affect how a lot of people think about you. So Pew Research Center asked registered voters, who are you supporting? And then said, would you have hard time or no trouble respecting someone who supports the opponent? So Pew found that among Clinton supporters, they found that 58% said that they would have a hard time supporting, hard time respecting someone who supports Donald Trump. Meanwhile, among Trump supporters, it was only 40% who said they'd have a hard time respecting someone who supports Hillary Clinton for president. Yeah. So this was a, you know, this was something I had folks when we tweeted this out were like, yeah, we knew those Clinton voters were, you know, that I didn't have any respect for them, (laughs) basically. Like, it was just part of this kind of everyone's hates each other time of the election that we've talked about before. Um, I thought that was a pretty strong response. And you don't really, you know, it wasn't quite as serious among Trump voters. Um, But the other question that Pew asked is whether or not you thought the candidates had respect for democratic institutions and traditions. And a majority, almost two-thirds, said that they thought Hillary Clinton respected democratic institutions and traditions, but a majority said Trump d- does not respect democratic institutions and traditions, which he know. also doesn't respect invoices from pollsters. Let's right. talk about that story for a little bit. So turns out that the Trump campaign has spent more on hats than on polling. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and part of that may be because he has not really paid his pollster. So we talked on this show about the saga of Tony Fabrizio, the pollster most likely to tell you that you're going to die. Yes. Turns out that diagnosis doesn't get you paid by <laughs> Donald Trump. Uh, so apparently Fabrizio's shop has uh, conducted about, what is it, three quarters of a million dollars worth yeah. of polling for Trump's campaign that is now in dispute by the FEC. I guess you have to tell the FEC that you're disputing invoices. Which doesn't happen very often. It happens sometimes, but this is... Right. And look, I have worked for firms, a firm that did work for someone who will remain nameless, who's a very prominent vocal Trump supporter right now. That's all I'll say. And uh, didn't... That does narrow it down. (laughs) Does narrow it down. Didn't pay us. Like, almost $30,000 didn't pay us. Which is actually shockingly like kind of a small bill to get stiffed on in the right. grand world of polling. But like we could have hired a, you know, a baby junior staffer for a couple months to do that. Right. Um we were not by the way the worst. Um Kellyanne Conway was also a pollster on the project. And when this person closed down their campaign committee and had to file with the FEC all of the debts that would not be paid. Uh for her firm it was like 65 or $70,000 that wasn't getting paid. Ugh. So she got screwed way worse than we did. 
So she knows this a thing why, or two about presidential campaigns not paying their pollsters. So, you know, a lot of people think there's just, you know, big, big bags of cash being handed to political pollsters. It's not true. And <laughs> m- everyone in research knows that political clients are most likely to stiff you. Oh, yeah. You got to get paid before the race happens or after campaign day. No, And then if they don't have enough money or they're in debt, then they got to raise money to pay off their debt. Yeah, you are working for a business that is running itself to the ground and then will close. <laughs> like that is, you know, that the business will fold. That is, and the business is the campaigns you are working for, right? And so, you know, that's and it's just it's tough. So that is not unusual, but seven fifty is is pretty high. That is that is really high, and this doesn't seem like it's a oh we'll get. In in our case, it was like, oh, yeah, we're going to pay you. We'll just pay you later. And then later never came. And then there was no money later. And then they closed up shop later, even though this person is not hurting for cash. No. I digress again. Yes. But in this they case, are still able to in this case, this is like a preemptive. This isn't like a, oh, we're just going to drag this out and like ghost. Like the Trump campaign's not ghosting Fabrizio. They're straight up like disputing it with the FEC right now, it seems. So – Yikes. Yeah, I can't. Anyhow. I, I I hope to see some leaked court documents of whatever that is. That That's that's all I can hope for. Um, So, yeah, and I guess they're spending more money in hats. There's been lots of reporting about that. And swag, we did a poll here that confirmed this reporting that the Trump campaign, they're the kings of swag. So Adam Rosenblatt in my office, he was the guy who did the waiting with me for the upshot who – disagreed with how we ended up waiting, wanted to have like a narrower Clinton advantage, I should say, make sure that I get the record straight for him. And um, he did this great little poll and deck, which is on our website, um, that asked people it had, if they could recall one of 10 different times, you know, any of 10 different kinds of um, voter contact. Had, you know, did they recall seeing it for Trump, against Trump, for Clinton, against Clinton? There was some split sampling, but they asked about 10 different types of contact. He's been doing it for a couple different election cycles, and he keeps adding more types of contact. So there's social media, there's web, but not social media, there's web video. So it's really broken out into a lot of different categories. And the one category that Trump really dominates across all subgroups is stickers and lawn signs. He is crushing Clinton on stickers and lawn signs, which I think is, you know, consistent with everything we know about Trump. They like to sell stuff. These likes to sell hats. You know, there's lots of, you know, signs out for him. So I thought that was quite entertaining. And the other thing that I thought was interesting is that Clinton does a better job of communicating to her base than than Trump does in terms of recall, that uh, Clinton had better recall with her base across a variety of different uh, different modes of contact. But the, Trump is swag as swag king, I thought, was greatly entertaining. So on election night, we're coming to the end of the show, and this feels like a really important show. This is our last episode before election day. But not our last episode ever, guys. No, not our... So we have some exciting news that we are not going to share right now, but you should stay tuned. Exciting stuff ahead for the posters. Yes. We are not going anywhere. We are just getting. Well, I am going on vacation. <laughs> but aside from that, <laughs> we're just getting the heck out of Dodge. As well, you should. That's right. Before she does, we're going to tape our post election episode next Wednesday and dig into has our industry burned down in flames? Has America burned down in flames? Or is everything fine? Right. And whatever fine looks like to you. And if we had to, if we certainly, you know, this is not a choice, thankfully, we have to 
make. But if I had to choose between the polls all being wrong and Donald Trump <laughs> not winning, <laughs> you know, not winning, I mean, that'd be very, if I had to sacrifice the entire credibility of the whole industry in order for Trump to not win the presidency, I, I mean, not that it's up to me, but I would be willing to do it. But thankfully, we don't have to make that choice. Hopefully, we can have both those things at the same time. Well, here's my my final my final plea to you all because I won't get a chance to talk to you again until after election day. On election day, there are going to be exit polls conducted. Exit polls are wonderful. I love me some exit polls. I don't love me some exit polls on election day. Because the way the exit polls get conducted, it is not a perfectly random type sample. They are choosing a set of precincts that they think will be Interesting bellwethers sort of give a good overall impression of what a state is doing. Um, and they'll be choosing voters as they come out of the voting booth. Uh, but exit poll data winds up getting weighted back to the results from a particular precinct. So if I stand outside a precinct and I do 10 interviews, five people are for Clinton and five people are for Trump, and then the returns come in that night and the precinct breaks out 60% for Clinton, 40% for Trump, then those interviews get weighted accordingly. All of the Clinton people get weighted up a little bit, and all the Trump people get weighted down a little bit. And this happens across precinct after precinct after precinct after precinct around the country. So when you get those special... I can't wait that long, Kristen. Margie, don't do it. <laughs> when you see people tweeting, super secret leaked exit polls, and there are no actual returns yet, to weight that data back to, you are looking at absolute garbage. You are looking at something that should not be seeing the light of day. It's not that the data is ultimately going to be bad. It's that it is incomplete. My analogy is that it is like bacon. When cooked, it is delicious. When raw, if you consume it, you will get sick as well you should. So don't. <laughs> so resist. Resist, my friends. You will see on Twitter people tweeting. So the moral of the story, try raw bacon. Maybe try. it's not so bad. We don't know. <laughs> I think they call it pork I think they call it pork belly now. If you have if you're just eating raw bacon, it's pork belly. That's right. Um snout to tail. We like our polls. Snout to tail. <laughs> God, what? You never heard that about? No, I don't like, know what you're talking it's about. Part of like the food trend of like using the whole animal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Snout to tail. Only consume your poll numbers carefully cooked. Asterisk. Undercooked food may cause food poisoning. Undercooked polls may cause brain poisoning. Don't don't do it, guys. I believe in you. I'm 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 here with you. Let's be strong. It's gonna be so hard not to hit retweet. It's gonna be so hard. But I know you forget can do it. it. I know you can do forget it. Forget it. It's not gonna happen. Wait until some <laughs> returns come in. Some returns. Forget it. Well, you can, I know. You know that I'm, can... I'm fighting an empty battle, but like that was my final plea. I've put it out there, universe. Retweets aren't endorsements, obviously. I have don't, but <sighs> it's just you know. You don't see me retweeting links to like crazy conspiracy theories no. that I. So, um, guys, guys, this is my thing. I love you all. Don't let me down. <laughs> don't let me down. So our key findings. We are in the final countdown. Pick up. Pick up some stickers and yard signs, do some GOTV, and don't obsess over talking about the polls. 
Wait a second. That was just a note I wrote to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for an incredible year and a half of the pollsters. We love you guys and gals, and we're so glad you've enjoyed our regular polling deep dive and bad jokes. But don't forget, polling never takes a holiday. Don't worry. The pollsters will soldier on after Tuesday. We'll still be here. Even if there's a chance that our democracy will not be, we will still be here. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters, individually at at Margie O'Meara and at Soltis Anderson at www.thepolsters.com. Find our show notes and links to other great polling resources. Catch us on Facebook, where throughout the week we post links to the new stories that are reshaping how we think about the race and more. Don't forget to subscribe to us and make sure you catch us on TV on election night. You can find me on ABC. You can find Margie doing some stuff for BBC. We're going to be out there trying to analyze this stuff as it comes in. Be smart. Don't retweet early exit polls. Bye. (laughs) Thanks.